0: invite you to turn in your bible to habakkuk chapter 3 Habakkuk chapter 3 and we'll begin by reading this this morning and I invite you to stand if you're able as we read God's word, Habakkuk chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Give you a few more seconds because it's Habakkuk. (laughs) Make sure you can find it. Habakkuk chapter 3, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigeoneth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Selah. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth, he looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered, the everlasting hills sank low, his were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing As if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses. The surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble. To come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom. Nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fail. And the fields yield no fruit, food. The flock be cut off from the fold. And there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy In the God of my salvation, God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come to your word, we ask for insight and wisdom as we consider some of the more challenging, difficult, or obscure portions of your word. We know that every word that you have given us is significant. There is no word that you have wasted. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ himself took every word and every clause and phrase and sentence of your word seriously. We pray that you would give us the strength, help us to do the same, to consider your word, to tremble at your voice, and to take seriously what you have written. We pray that you would bless us as we look upon your word now. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Keep your finger in Habakkuk. If you haven't closed your Bible yet, we will be there. Last week, we began to look at several special issues in the book of Psalms. We looked briefly at its history, and we saw that the book of Psalms is a collection of individual works. It is not a single work, but a compilation or collection of individual works, and that that collection grew over many hundreds of years. We also looked at the important issue of authorship in the Psalms, what the ESV translates of David. Some have claimed does not mean of David. It doesn't mean that David was the author, but we saw last week that the testimony of Scripture is that of David means by David. We can be confident regarding the authorship of those titled Psalms. And we began to look at the titles in the Psalms and saw that the titles are inspired and they are part of the original writings that we have. We should not consider them to be later editions after the writing. And we left off looking at the misunderstanding of the Psalm titles. We were in Habakkuk 3 when we left and that's where we began this morning. Now, as we read in Habakkuk chapter 3, you probably noticed verse 1 and verse 19. And they probably reminded you a little bit of the Psalms. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shagioneth, does not sound too different than some of the psalm titles. But then, in verse 19, at the very end, to the choir master... With stringed instruments. And so we saw just at a glance something about this looks like the Psalms, and yet something doesn't quite match up. And I want to show you that now. On the back of your insert, there is a little visual that I hope will help you understand what's going on. On the left side, you have modern divisions. And this is real simple. Keep your finger in Habakkuk chapter 3 and then turn to Psalm chapter 3. Psalm 3. And we'll, we'll see the similarity between these titles, but then also a very remarkable difference. So in Psalm 3... What we're going to do is I've left out the lines, the divisions that we're going to make. So in the boxes on the left, the top box is Psalm 3. So you can just write a 3 in that box if you want. And then below that box, 4, and then 5, and then 6. And the boxes represent the body of the psalm. It's the psalm itself, if you will. And then we have these titles we've got to deal with. Okay? Okay. So when we look at Psalm 3, here's what we have. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. And that's that little triangle up at the top above three, above the box. Then at the end, we have nothing. We have chapter 4. And chapter 4 begins, to the choir master with stringed instruments. A psalm of David. All right? So where does the uh, psalm end? Where does chapter 3 end and where does chapter 4 begin? Well, there's nothing at the end of chapter 3. And so you're going to want to put a line above the oval. Above that oval, as soon as the body of Psalm 3 is done, that's it. It's over. So at the top of Psalm 4, we have, To the choir master with stringed instruments. And we have a Psalm of David. And then below the box number four, you can draw another line. Below the box number five, draw another line. Below the box number six, draw another line. There's a line under each one of those boxes. That's how our modern divisions are given to us in uh, virtually every, not every, but virtually every English translation has done it that same way. I found one translation that did it a little bit differently. Not nothing you've ever heard of. It was published in the '40s or something like that. Old, old thing. Anyway, very old. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just teasing you. <laughs> okay, so that's where the divisions are in our. Tra- it's real simple. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, that belongs with Psalm 3. And then Psalm 4, what's the title? To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. But now, keep keep your finger there and flip back to Habakkuk chapter 3. This is your middle column. You notice that Habakkuk chapter 3 is a little bit different. It starts with a title, A Prayer of Habakkuk, the Prophet, According to Shigioneth. That's very clearly going with the psalm or prayer. But then at the end, we have a separate title or what we call a colophon. Probably not in your vocabulary. A colophon is an ending title. It's a title you put at the end or a footer, maybe you you might refer to it as. And Habakkuk 3 has what we call a colophon, and that is to the choir master with stringed instruments. Now, where does that title, to the choir master with stringed instruments, belong? No question in Habakkuk 3. Where does it belong? It belongs at the end. No question. It does not belong at the top of Zephaniah. (laughs) That's the next book. It doesn't belong. It's not part of Zephaniah. That would have been very clearly divided in all the manuscripts. So in Habakkuk 3, we have a title. We have the psalm, the square. And then we have a colophon. That's the circle. Okay, so you got the basic lay. I know you're still a little confused. That's fine. Stick with me. Imagine if we had nothing but psalm, I'm sorry, Habakkuk 3, Nothing but that repeated over and over and over again. What would it look like if we had Habakkuk chapter 3 repeated over and over? Go ahead and draw in underneath the circle on Habakkuk 3. Draw in a little rectangle, uh, triangle. I know geometry. Draw in a triangle and then another box and then a circle. Just like Habakkuk 3. So if you had, say, we had a Habakkuk 4 that followed the same pattern, what would we have? We would have triangle at the top, then the square, circle, triangle, square, circle. Visually, that's what you have. Now, take a look and see how much that looks like our modern divisions. See that pattern? Triangle, square, circle, triangle, square, and so on. All right, so what's going on? Well, we know where Habakkuk 3 ends. It ends after that oval. It ends after that circle. So you drew in a a new one, your little drawing, put a line below the circle, the top circle. So in Habakkuk 3, where's the division? We have a triangle, a square, and then a circle, and then the division. And then we have a triangle, square, circle. So now here's the proposal. This is what I'm suggesting is is correct. On the right side, the proposed divisions would be this. You have a triangle, and this would be Psalm 3. Triangle, Psalm 3, Circle, or uh, oval. Then you draw a line. And then you have a triangle then you have a square, circle, draw a line, triangle, square, circle, draw a line, triangle, square, circle. So the pattern is triangle, square, circle, division. All right, so now look at Psalm chapter 3. At the, at the very end, this is how it should read. This is not brand new to most of you who have heard Pastor Jeremy read the titles. But this is what it would look like. In Psalm 3, verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. law to the choir master with stringed instruments. End of Psalm 3. Then Psalm 4 would begin a Psalm of David. Now, why are we doing that? Because that's exactly what Habakkuk chapter 3 does. Where, does, where do we find to the choir master? At the end of Habakkuk chapter 3. So when we're reading the text, and in the text, those numbers are on the... They're not part of the Hebrew text. Those numbers are added in. We add those in at a later time. David did not write three, a Psalm of David. He wrote a Psalm of David, and then he wrote it. So the numbers are not part of the text. And in, those, in, in that flow of the text... We're following Habakkuk's pattern, and at the end of the psalm, we find to the choir master, with stringed instruments. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what Habakkuk 3.19 says. To the choir master, with stringed instruments. There we go. So that's the proposal of the division of the psalm titles. That for millennia, literally, or at the very least, several dozen centuries, we have misdivided the Psalms so that the titles are not with the appropriate Psalm. And we, we did that innocently enough. If I came across Psalm, chapter, uh, or sorry, Psalm 4, if I came across that, I wouldn't know necessarily where does this go and where does this go? Does it go with 3 or 4? I'm not sure. So that is our proposal is that the Psalms have been misdivided. They've been often misunderstood. So back on the front side of your sheet, a, uh, They number one, under A, they have been divided incorrectly. They've been divided incorrectly. Now, it's critical, I've already said it, but let me say it again. I'm not proposing we alter the text at all. We're not changing anything about the text. We're looking at the text and asking, where do we divide the text? That's what we're discussing. Now, that's the change. We're not altering the text. We're altering where we divide the text. But that little change has a massive significance in our understanding of the Psalms. And here's why. Back in Psalm 3, if you have the ESV, this will be easy for you to follow and confirm. If not, you'll find something similar in your translation. But take a look at Psalm 6 to the choir at the, at the top. To the choir master with stringed instruments, according to the shamanith. This is how they say it, the uh, uh Just if, if any of you are stuck on this, these according to's. Those aren't people. Those are, those are uh, names of uh, either melodies or designations or types of, of music, not people. So, according to is not like, hey, this guy named Shimonith told me this story and here it is, just so you know. Okay. Unusual words, so we got to make sense of them. Now, I have in my ESV, according to the Shimonith, footnote four. And then I go down to footnote four and I see. Probably a musical or liturgical term. Thanks, that's really helpful. Probably a musical or liturgical term. What does it mean? Zero, they give me nothing. They don't translate the word, they transliterate the word. They just took the Hebrew word and put in the English equivalent letters, shimineth, that's what we've got. No translation, no explanation whatsoever. Go to one, Same thing. A Shigayan of David. And then you look at the footnote. Same thing. Chapter 8 or Psalm 8. According to the getith. And what do you find? Same note. Psalm 9. To the choirmaster, according to mutlabin. Again, same note. What do all the notes say? Probably a musical or liturgical term, which is another way of saying, we have no idea what this means. And what I'm saying is the reason we have no idea what these words mean is because we've been attaching them to the wrong psalm. You look at the psalm below it, it has nothing to do with it. And so you conclude... This is a really confusing term. I don't know what it means. I can't make sense of it. But if you were to look at the psalm before it, all of a sudden, you make sense of it. All of a sudden, the terms start to mean something. They start to be consistent. And you realize oh, Shimonith is not a mystery. It's not. Or Alamot is not a mystery. It means something, but if you have it attached to the wrong psalm, good luck trying to figure out what it means. All right, so they've been divided incorrectly, and this results in a lot of confusion, and that's seen in almost all of the footnotes in the psalms. Probably this, probably this, uncertain, we're not sure. I'm not saying that if you uh, divide them properly, all of the mystery is going to disappear. It's not going to take care of all the difficulties, but at least we'll be talking about what does this term actually mean. It's not all going to be uncertain and unclear. So number two, the psalm titles have largely remained a mystery. They've largely remained a mystery. (laughs) My, I, I, I mentioned the MacArthur Study Bible last week, my belief is the reason he says these are probably late additions and they're largely reliable, the reason he says that is because we have no idea what they mean. And if you're looking at a bunch of words that we have no clue what they mean, our tendency is to dismiss them, to disregard them. We can't figure those out and so let's just ignore them. If we understand them properly, then we're not going to treat them so lightly. Okay, so things will begin to make a lot more sense if we divide them properly. Now, uh, let's go through a few other points on the titles. These are new. These weren't in your notes last time. Uh, B, B, most Psalms have a title or colophon. And I say most, I mean uh, it's like 88%. Almost all the Psalms have titles or a title or a colophon. There's only 18 Psalms in the whole Psalter that don't have either a title or a colophon. I give you those Psalms in your notes. So this is usual or unusual to find a title? Very usual. Very usual. It is common. It's what you would expect you're more surprised, in fact, much more surprised if you find a psalm and it doesn't tell you anything in the title or in the colophon. C, let's look at the historical information contained in them just a little bit. You all uh, are familiar with several of the uh, titles that include that historical information. The historical information found in the titles varies widely uh, in terms of its size. The shortest one is only two words in the Hebrew. Just two words. uh, When David was in the cave, that's one of them. When David was in the cave, just two words in the Hebrew. And then the longest one, Psalm 60, is 16 words or so in the Hebrew. There's some hyphenated words, so if you... It's 16 to 18, depending on how you count the hyphenated words. So very, very broad spectrum of how much information. Some of them are very short. Some of them are longer. But there's only 14 of them. There's only 14 historical titles in the whole book. So do we expect to find a historical description? No. No. We don't. It's unusual to find a historical description. It really, what the author is saying is, you need to know this background before you read the psalm. Here's what was going on when this psalm was written. And interestingly, number two, the historical information is entirely Davidic. Every single historical note is Davidic. David wrote it. That's like the adjectival form of David, Davidic. You're all with me? Okay. Who's this guy, Davidic? David is the man, and he wrote this psalm. All of the historical information we have is Davidic. Now, that matters because where do we find out about the life of David? In the scripture, we look at 1 Samuel. We look at 2 Samuel. We look at a little bit of 1 Kings. We look at 1 Chronicles, and it tells us his history. From those accounts... The Psalms are written, and they almost all connect directly to an event that we're aware of. So David will tell us, he'll say something like, when he was in the cave. When David was in the cave, and we're like, oh, I remember the time he was in the cave. And we can go back in Samuel, and we can find that, and we can read more about it. So he's giving us that context. D, D, there are many unfamiliar words in the titles Many, in fact, most of them, if you take out the historical information, most of them are unfamiliar. There are way more terms in in the titles than we can deal with this morning, but I thought it would be helpful to cover a few, and so what I've done is looked at the most common of those titles. We're not going to spend a bunch of time on this, but I think this will be helpful to you. When you see these words in the titles, they do mean something. They mean something. Uh, and what I've covered in, in, in number one and two, I've covered all of the terms outside of the narratives. I've covered all of the terms that occur more than twice. Almost all the terms that occur more than once. So I've left out the ones that only, you only find one time. I'm not discussing those. But all those that are repeated, I've listed here, and I'm giving you a brief description or explanation of them. Now, go back to... Um, uh, Psalm, well, not back to, turn to Psalm 44. It was in God's providence that Psalm 46 was read and sung this morning. There was zero connection, and it's fascinating. It's one of the more significant psalms in relation to the titles. Uh, but we're in Psalm 44. Psalm 44, and we have in Psalm 44 to the choirmaster Masculine, the sons of Korah. That's what the title is. Then at the end, that is Psalm 45, to the choir master according to Lilies. Now, how do we talk about those two titles? Because what I'm saying is, to the choir master according to Lilies belongs with Psalm 45. That can be really confusing. I'm sorry, Psalm 44. It belongs at the end of Psalm 44. So it can be confusing, and so what I do is whenever I'm talking about the colophon, I put a C next to it in the notes. There's a little C next to the psalm if it's the colophon. That way you're not looking in Psalm 45 for Psalm 44's colophon. All right, that's just a note. Now let's look at these. Number one, types and designations, and then number two, we'll look at the styles, the occasions, and the choirs. Number one, types and designations, these are all found in the tops or the titles of the psalms. Number two, those are found in the colophons at the end. So a maskeel, what's a maskeel? I could even ask you, what's a psalm? Ooh, what's a psalm? You give me a definition of a song and it's something like this. Is it a song? And why are we sometimes told a psalm a song? Is it musical? Probably. It's always poetic, always poetic, no exceptions. A psalm is poetic. It's usually musical, and it's usually like a song. But it could be instead of like a a normal song that you would just sing, it could be a prayer or something else like that. But you're familiar with a psalm. What about a masculine? A maskeel is a specific type of psalm which is designed to instruct or to teach. And so the maskeels are songs of instruction. You could translate it a teaching psalm, a teaching psalm, and I give you all of the maskeels in the notes. A miktom, second miktom. A miktom a is a personal prayer or plea to God a personal prayer or plea to God. So this is number one B, miktam, a personal prayer or plea to God. We have several of these miktams, and each of the miktams focuses on this direct speaking to God. Some of them are to the choir master, which does not mean they're all private. We can all sing a personal song to God. Can't we? We could sing a song together like, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. We could sing that together, but it's still a personal prayer to God. And that's what a miktom is. It's that personal, I'm speaking directly to God. I'm not just talking about God, but I'm speaking directly to him. And that's what a miktom is. A shagion is uh, very interesting. It's the, it's translated or transliterated in Habakkuk 3 uh, Shigunot. And it's that's the plural of shigayon. In the Hebrew, when you make it a plural, uh, you have the oat ending or the em ending, depending on its gender. So it's oat. So it's a uh instead of a shigayon. They're the same thing, and a shigayon is a song or psalm of great variation. So variation is is the the key. The word uh, Shigayon can sometimes be translated something like sin or transgression because when we wander and we vary in our path, what do we do? We go off God's path, we sin. So it can describe sin, but the idea is wandering or in a musical sense, there's great variation. Now, when I read Habakkuk chapter 3, as we started, how many of you were struck by the ending and how different the ending was from the rest of the psalm? And That's the exact idea. Habakkuk is talking about all this powerful stuff, anger even, God doing these remarkable things, uh, very violent things. And then all of a sudden, calm, I will wait for the Lord. I will trust in him. He makes my feet like the deers. All of this uh, shift, and that's the idea of the Shigayon. is this great variation, this huge difference. I would say, in a broad sense, it's like uh, the music of the Romantic period, not the Baroque period. Typical Baroque period, one emotion, one thought throughout the whole thing. It's very straightforward in each piece. You, then you shift over to the romantic period, and oh my goodness, you're going from happy to sad to angry to, and it's just going all over the place. That's why they call it the romance, all these emotions and feelings that are expressed in it. And that's the idea of the Shagayan, a song of variation. Then D, another one you'll find, is the song of ascents. And they're all together, all of the Psalms of Ascent or Songs of Ascent are in Psalm 120 to 134. Every one of them is a Psalm of Ascent. And these are songs, it's called a Song of Ascent because the Jews would sing these songs on their way up to Jerusalem for the feasts. At least that's what the the tradition was. So it's a Song of Ascent Not because each of the songs ascends in musical terms or something like that, but because the people would ascend to Jerusalem. They'd be going up to Jerusalem, and they would sing these songs. So they're particularly focused on Jerusalem, on Zion, the mountain that Jerusalem is on, and that's their focus. All of those are the most common. That takes care of probably 95% of all of the names that you don't recognize in the titles. Then, number two, the styles, occasions, and choirs. These are the things, the terms that are found in the colophons or at the end of the psalms. Number two, uh, I'm sorry, first, lilies. Uh, These are the ESV translations for the words, according to the lilies, it will say. This is a psalm that is to be sung at the time of the Passover, The Jews had spring festivals, and they had fall or harvest festivals. The Passover is the spring one. That's the time of the lilies. It's when the lilies are coming out, the bulbs, if you will. So the lilies are coming out in the spring, and so these psalms are called, they're according to the lily psalms or Passover psalms. They're to be sung at the time of the Passover. They have a, a, a focus on the Passover, God's deliverance from Egypt and his salvation. B, do not destroy. This is a real weird one you see in the titles. According to do not destroy. What on earth? Or, or mutlaben, um similar. According to do not destroy, these are appeals for deliverance. Appeals for deliverance. And interestingly, they are not talking about salvation as in sins, deliverance from sin. They're all focused on the enemies of, of, of David or whoever the author is. So it's like an army's outside of the castle walls, that kind of prayer for deliverance. A prayer from physical, temporal, uh, harm. You want deliverance from, from those things. That's the do not destroy styles. Then C, Getith. The Getith is at the time of the Feast of Booths. This would be the harvest uh, feasts. So the Jews have the Feast of the Passover, Feast of Booths. This is the one in the fall. This talks about God's provision for the Israelites during the wilderness wanderings. Then uh, Moses instituted the Feast of Booths. Every year, literally every year, they had to go out and camp in tents for a week. They had to do tent camping one week out of every year. Just telling you, it's biblical, people. You need to go on camping trips. Uh, No, but the idea of living in a booth, you did. You had to live in a booth. You had to live in a little tent. The idea was deprivation. You needed to afflict yourself, as in deprive yourself. And then at the end of the week, then you had a great uh, feast. You had a day of fasting, and then you had a great feast to celebrate how God provided for the Israelites during the 40 years of wandering. Okay, D, uh, Jeduthun. This is, uh, I, I don't know. This is a very uncertain one. So I have a couple of suggestions, and I want to show you why I'm suggesting this. Actually, I don't, because I'm going to run out of time. I'm going to leave. I'm going to just tell you what I'm suggesting, and I'm not going to explain why. If you care, you can ask me later. (laughs) Perhaps, so I'm not sure about this, but perhaps these are psalms of thanksgiving, or they may be psalms to be sung with the trumpets, or they may be songs to be sung at the gates. And I'll just tell you the reason is because that Jeduthin is probably a person that's talked about in First Chronicles 16. And he's in charge of the celebration, the Thanksgiving choir. He's in charge of the trumpets and he's in charge of the gates. So one of those? I'm not sure which. Maybe all three. Sing these songs with Thanksgiving's... With thanksgiving, with trumpets at the gates. I don't know. That's what Jeduthun has to do with. And if we study those psalms, we may conclude a little bit more about them. Then E, I find most fascinating. You're in Psalm 44, I believe. Look over at Psalm 46 at the title. Psalm 46, title. To the choirmaster master of the sons of Korah. According to Alamot. Now, this I find quite compelling because Alamot is not a mysterious word. It means the virgins or the maidens. Now, if you saw maidens, according to the maidens, at the top of a psalm, what would you think it meant? Obviously, the women sang it right? Or something like, a, a maybe you could say like an alto or soprano or something like that. I don't know. Could maybe something like that. But it's the, it's of course, it's the women. But then you look at the note and it's like, well, probably a musical or liturgical term. Well, why? why? Why don't you tell me the obvious meaning? Well, because when you read Psalm 46, which we heard sung this morning, it's violent. It's powerful. It's very jarring. Just a sample, verse 9. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Just, does that sound like the psalm for the girls to be singing? It's not, maybe not so much. And so they're thinking, no, this it couldn't mean that. Couldn't mean that. Well, it doesn't belong with Psalm 46, it belongs with Psalm 45. Now look at Psalm 45. It is a love song. Oh, right there, the case is closed. <laughs> <laughs> the title, A Maskeel of the Sons of Korah, A Love Song. And then just a couple of highlights. Verse 1, my heart overflows with a pleasing theme. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. Verse 2, have you ever seen this anywhere in the Psalms? You are the most handsome of the sons of men. What? What's that doing in the Bible? You guys, you all have a new verse to quote. (laughs) you are the most handsome of the sons of men probably not comfortable for the guys to be singing that is it but it does make sense if it's the virgins the maidens singing it and the ladies choir singing you are the most handsome of the sons of men probably talking about this the king uh, more, verse 9. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. The queen in gold of Ophir. Verse 10. Hear, O daughter. Verse 11. The king will desire your beauty. Verse 13. All glorious is the princess. Verse 14. At the end, second uh, line. With her virgin companions following behind her, with joy and gladness they're led along. And all of a sudden, that whole psalm has a color to it because you know that it's the ladies singing that psalm. And all of a sudden, it comes. It's like it used to be black and white, and now it's just in color. So, E Shimonith and Olamot. These are two based on First Chronicles fifteen. We're told this is fascinating. We're told that the. Uh, harps or the lyres were to be tuned. They were to be tuned according to the Shimonith, And that was one section. And then we had other harps that were tuned to the Alamot. Oh, wow. That's like, okay, they've got parts. They have different instruments that, uh, that go with different parts. They're in different keys or something along those lines. But therefore, I would conclude the shimonith is probably the men. It's probably the male or the lower register. And the, the Alamot is the higher register, the women. So these are songs to be sung by the men's choir and the maiden's choir, respectively. All right, let's end with something not in the titles, and that is the word Selah. How many of you have read that and wondered, what does that mean? I think everyone who's ever read them has probably wondered, what does that mean? And there's still lots of debate on it, but I think we have somewhere to go with it. First, uh, just looking at its pattern, Selah is usually at the end of a sentence. So it usually is at the end, at a nice stopping point. However, there are occasions when it comes right in the middle of a, of a clause. And it sometimes, or it, I'm sorry, at the end of a clause, in the middle of a sentence. And sometimes it comes at the very end of the psalm itself. So A is usually at the end. B is, it can be at the end of a clause or the entire psalm. C Because of Habakkuk, we have Selah found outside of the Psalms, the book of Psalms, but it's always found within the text of a psalm. Habakkuk 3, I would count as a psalm in that regard. D, what does it mean? It probably means pause and reflect. It is probably a call to stop. Think about this. That's why it's at the end. It's saying, Focus on, I just said something. Stop and think about that. Stop and think about that for a second. It, it does not occur that often, but it occurs enough in the Psalms that I think we have enough. We can conclude it means something along those lines. So when you see it, as I tried to do when I read Habakkuk chapter 3 today, as you see that, pause. Don't rush on to the. We're all, when we're reading, I don't know if it's because of our training in kindergarten, but when we read, we tend to rush through things. If you see a comma, take a breath. You see a period, pause, take a breath. You see a selah, stop, think. God wants you to focus on that. Think about that. That's important. It's important. All right, and, and I want to close just with a, a brief Exhortation, devotion, devotional thought at the end of a long lecture. When, when we come across God's words that we do not understand, we don't want to disregard them. We don't want to get disregard them. He puts in words that are confusing and hard for us to understand on purpose. Because when we understand everything, what do we tend to do? We tend to breeze over it. And even this word selah itself is intentionally telling us, go Go slow. Take your time. Don't race through this or you're going to miss things that are really important. Not just when you see the word Selah, but as you're reading God's word, take it slowly. Pause and reflect. What does this mean? What is the implication of this? God's speaking to you and you're going to miss it all if you're just rushing through it. So it's a good reminder for us. Not only do we take every little word seriously, God inspired all of them, all scripture is profitable, but also for us to go slowly. If we believe it's inspired and we believe that it's an errant, then we ought to take it seriously, think on it, dwell on this and take it seriously. Let me close in a word of prayer as I invite the worship team up for the closing song. Father in heaven, we thank you for this book of of Psalms and how you have given to us so many rich words. You have given to us people who are like we are, that we might learn from them. David, the, the, the great psalmist of Israel, the sweet psalmist of Israel, is such a remarkable example to us, both of success and failure, of fear and of triumph. And so we praise you for giving us a book that can, like the Psalms, point us to Christ, that we can trust in him, that we can look to you for the salvation that we need. We praise you that you have given us this book. We pray that you would help us to treasure it, to listen to it, to reflect upon it, to take it seriously and slowly, that we might enjoy all that it has to teach us and benefit from it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.